It's someone. There we go. It's someone's fault. Uh, how's this for a weekend, huh? Scots, out you go. 400 runs, cricket. But there's a big thing this weekend that we actually need to just quickly pray about. When, when there is a war in Israel, the church better pray. It doesn't really matter where your, what your perspective is on Israel. I know there are lots of people who, who have negative perspective on Israel. I understand. Uh, I, I get the reasons, but here's what you've got to know. When your parents behave badly, you don't disinherit them. Israel is in many ways the reason we got Jesus, or is the reason we got Jesus, and, uh, and we are linked to Israel as the church. So scripture instructs us, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's not like an option. Whether you like them or not, you pray for them. So we're going to stand and pray. Is that all right? I know that was quite hectic as a start, but we're going to stand and pray. So Jesus, we pray angelic work and peace over Jerusalem. We pray that that heaven's armies will rest on that place. And we pray, God, that you bring peace where there is war. And we ask, God, that you, you move in the hearts of people. And we pray for salvations through this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well done. You prayed for Jerusalem. Grab a seat as we continue. Now, if you missed last week with Shebian, man, isn't that like a gift to our church? He's just so cool. But if you missed it, he spoke a lot about, um, about Babylon and Daniel's life being connected to Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah the prophet was a little bit older, and Jeremiah sent a, a letter that Daniel would have got and basically based his life on the, the book of Jeremiah. And um, what he didn't explain was how evil Babylon was. So Babylon was known for some hectic stuff. A couple of things um, that they did, they sacrificed children to their god Marduk, who later got known as Baal. He was the Baal, the god of Babylon. They were known for cutting off feet, lips, and noses of uh, people who committed crimes. So it's a highly effective discouragement to commit crime when your lips go. I mean, when you think about it, in that age, you cut a person's lips off, no anesthetic, that person is slowly dying. It's about as cruel as you can get. Cutting the feet off, they can't move. It's just, this was Babylon. When they got their enemies, when they defeated a nation, what they would do is they'd bring the people through, they would pierce their eyes out, but they'd make sure they only did that when the people got to Babylon, so that they could show off that they ruled the nations. And then they would gut the person as they walked them through the city of Babylon. This is the Babylonians. Wouldn't you be stoked to live there? So Daniel gets exiled there, and then he gets this letter from Jeremiah, and he is hoping that Jeremiah will curse the life out of Babylon. But Jeremiah says this, and we read it last week, but it's worth reiterating. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So first point, I put you there. That's always encouraging. I did this, God says. Then he says, build houses and settle down. You're here to stay, dude. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce, marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. You have to stay a long time. And then he says, increase in number there, do not decrease. 
Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So I had a Daniel moment this week. In fact, um, I, I think I woke up frustrated this week, and it just, Justy says, sometimes when I'm frustrated, it's really good. So uh, I, I drove past, you know, just down there on Argyle, they have a whole bunch of uh, moms with kids begging. I drove past it, and I got so mull. And here's why I got mull. You know that those kids are pimped out kids. Those are not their children. Those kids are rented to, to beg with, just so you know. And I watched this, and I just started thinking about the incalculable evil. So those kids then learn that begging is a system of life that you can do. So their lives are destroyed. Secondly, the, the moms learn that you can do this, talk about it, and then other moms do this. And so what we have, and they're not even making money because there'll be a pimp driving the whole thing. So what we have is like generations of evil right in front of us. So I lose it. But I have a Daniel moment, so I go, okay, Lord, instead of thinking about Portugal, which looks like such a good option, have you seen the waves there? I went, okay, how do I, how do I attack this thing? You know, sometimes you attack something so that you change it. And sometimes you attack it so that you hurt evil. So I went, okay, what would Daniel have done? WWDD. What would Daniel do? And I, I thought he would have prayed. And so I prayed. And then I thought he would have come up with such a good strategic plan. So I asked Linda from Weirdem and I said, Linz, I want to know every single stakeholder Every single NGO we need to get into contact with so that we can actually give these kids a future, so we can actually do something. Because you can't just kick people out. You've got to deal with it. So I said, set them up. Meetings with the cops. Set, set up meetings with NGO leaders. I want to meet with them. And then I'm going to start rallying people. I'm going to rally Morningside like they have never been rallied before. I'm going to get people to fight this kind of evil. This stuff has to go. Anyway, I reckon by the end of my prayer, that issue was done because I saw the cops in the next day. Those people were gone for the rest of the week. And I went, ah. But they will be back and we will have more evil to fight. But I had this Daniel moment. Are you irked? I hope you're feeling like angry inside. Good. Then the sermon's going to be fantastic for you. And let me just tell you why this was such a big deal um, before I preach. I, um, I had a second calling into ministry. So my first calling was when I was a youth pastor, and then I was in the church and disillusioned with the impact of the church. I was just like, God, what am I doing here? It's like, this thing is not affecting change. And so I went on a round-the-world trip, and, and I was in a, a country called Peru, and whilst I was there, I was praying. I was saying, God, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to come here? What do you want me to do job-wise? I was thinking ab about building skills development stuff so that we could make a difference there. I was visiting black churches to see if I could make a difference there. I was just like seeking out something. And whilst I was there, I sat next to an uh, uh, Interpol guy, turned out. 
And uh, I was having a piece of chocolate cake right next to him. He's having a piece of chocolate cake. And we started talking. I said, what do you do? He said, I work for Interpol. And I said, like, now you feel like James Bond. And I said, so what do you do with Interpol? And he said, I, I work at stopping the sex trade. And then he described the sex trade to me. And by the time I'd heard that, I mean, this was because I'm like almost 100. So this was a long time ago. When, by the time I'd finished sharing that, I was going like, you see, God, why on earth am I building church? I could be shooting people. Like, I was so amped. <laughs> and I felt like I'd, I went for a walk, and there's like a million stairs down to the, the beach in, in Lima. And I felt like God said to me, you build my church, and I will raise up people to fight these fights. I will build the church. You will fight the fights. This is the thing he promised me. And this is the thing that when I see Durban like it is right now, I just, I just go, we need to start fighting some fights. And so this preach came out of that. It's hectic, dude. Anyway, Daniel 6. I want to read from this because I feel like I'm going to give you a key to fighting the fights. In Daniel 6, it says this. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, important people, to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. There was corruption, is basically what it's saying. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities... A better way to interpret that is by his spirit of excellence that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him. It's quite a statement. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. I, I deeply love this. The dude had such a spirit of excellence on him that people looked at him and went, we can't get this oak fired any other way than find something to do with his faith. I mean, imagine that was said about you. Imagine the people under you who wanted your job went, the only way I'm going to get this oak fired is if we find something with his Christianity that contradicts. We're going to aim at that. Imagine that as your, as your reputation. This is Daniel. It is phenomenal. Now, he, they play off two ideas. They say he had a spirit of excellence on him. And then they say there was nothing corrupt about him or negligent. Okay, now, let me just talk about these for a moment. Because corruption makes you mad. Corruption hurts things. It has colossal side effects. So uh, corruption makes you really angry. Negligence makes you leave. Okay, I, I know some of you aren't tracking. But let me, let me explain to you. It's the grass in the middle of the road that makes you leave. It's constantly bumping into people begging that makes you leave. It's the crime that isn't getting taken off that makes you leave. These are the things. It's negligence. People not doing their jobs properly. That's the stuff that drives you nuts. 
And so God goes, I know, I've got a key to help people fix the problem. I will put my spirit of excellence on them. Excellence is what God gives us in corrupt, negligent, driven world. He puts a spirit of excellence on you. Now, the story of Daniel tells you what happens when he puts a spirit of excellence on you. Let me, let me just say this. Possibly one of the greatest challenges with Christians at the moment, and I'm one of them, I have all these fleeting ideas about where I could go and live. But possibly one of our greatest challenges is that we are looking for excellent places to live and not being excellent in the places we live. So we're kind of like looking for heaven on earth instead of bringing heaven to hell on earth. We, we want to get out of the mess. And here's the reason. The mess wears you down. So God gives us a gift, and I want to today explain why the spirit of excellence is such a gift to you, never mind the world around. But I've, I've got like a whole bunch of things that kind of, half of them got downloaded to me in worship, and the, the other half at 4 a.m. So, so we're going to hope this comes out okay. But here, here's one of the things that excellence will do to you. Excellence will give you power to overcome. Because how many of you went into life going, God, I want my life to count? Any of you? You just went, God, whatever, just make my life count. You've prayed that prayer somewhere down the line. Now, you might be worn down today, but you prayed that, and in your heart of hearts, that's the thing you want. God, make my life count. You know what God does when you pray that prayer? He puts you in some hole. He puts you where it's messy, where it's corrupt, and where there's negligence. And then he gives you a spirit of excellence to make a difference to it. Our problem is that we're looking at the world for opportunity, economic opportunity. Find a boyfriend opportunity. Find, it's like we're looking for all the other opportunities other than God, what's your mission opportunity? And the result is we're trying to live lives that count and are highly impactful whilst we're putting ourselves in neutral space, like we're trying to make an impact in heaven, but heaven's already excellent. If you want to make an impact, do it in Durban. It's less excellent. There's an impact to be made here. Now, Daniel, he gets this. He lives in Babylon, but he prays towards Jerusalem. It is, it is a beautiful picture. What, it, what it's saying is that he lives on earth, because Jesus calls us, he says, Lord, don't take them out, keep them here. He lives on earth, but he, his spirit is from heaven. He's dreaming about heaven. His mind is heaven. He's seated in heavenly places, what the scripture says. He's looking at the mess on earth from a heavenly perspective, and it keeps him going. Now, for some of you, you're on your last legs of being here. I get it. I, I often get there. If your life is going to count, it's not going to count in whatever your Fiji is. Mine's Fiji. 
It's heaven on earth for me. You're not going to make a massive difference there. But you are needed here. And so you have to quickly shift. Your life is not about comfort. It's about impact. Excellence will help you move it. So they say they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. My mate said to me the other day, he said, if you're able to steal two rand today, you'll be able to steal two million tomorrow. And I went, hmm, two million is a lot of money. I don't think I could steal two million. But then I started to think about it. If you're able to steal two rand when you're dealing in hundreds of thousands, well, somewhere down the line, when you start dealing with millions or hundreds of millions, two millions is not that difficult. But if Daniel was said, there was nothing corrupt about him. I want to help you understand why he was so excellent of spirit. You guys look very scared of me today. It's going to get better, I promise. It's going to be fun. Daniel's name means God is my judge. They tried to change his name to Belteshazzar. Shazar means protector. Bel was the god of Babylon. So they tried to change his name from God is my judge to Bel will protect me in Babylon. Now, there are two ways that we think about, we think differently about judges to protectors. We rely on protectors and we fear judges. Agreed? So, What they try to do is they try to change his identity so that he will live trusting or relying on the God of that world. But Daniel goes, no, 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 my identity will be in my judge over all heaven and earth. The result of that is that Daniel wakes up in the morning and he goes, will this please God? And everything he goes into, his mindset is, will this be pleasing to God? Will this be pleasing to God? Everybody's coming late to work. Will this be pleasing pleasing to God? Everyone's a little bit tardy. How do I dress today? Lord, will this be pleasing to God? Nobody's really cleaning up their verges. Lord, what shall I do? Will this be pleasing to God? His entire lens is from the perspective of what is going to please God? Now, one of our challenges is that you and I have a bell. We have a a world that promises to give us stuff that we can easily rely on. Maybe it's money, maybe it's friends, maybe it's family, maybe it's uh, career opportunity. We we all have a bell. And what Daniel does is he puts his bell, the things that make us feel safe, he puts it under God's judgment. And so he takes his money and he goes, God, am what I'm doing with my money, does that please you? And he takes his family and how he's raising his kids. And he goes, God, is the way I'm treating my wife, does that please you? And he takes his friendships and he takes every aspect of his life and he takes them to the judge and he says, is this pleasing to you? Because I know you're a good judge and I know that you... Your desire is to reward me. 
but I'm putting the things I trust, the things that make me feel safe, primarily under your judgment. God, you make the call on them. Now listen to what happens as a, as a result. It says, so the administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue a, a decree or an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. It's a, it's a, a hectic verse. I, I sometimes think that the reason that he hears the decree and he goes and prays is because he's 80 and he doesn't care. Sometimes that's what I think. But I would submit to you that the reason that he heard the decree, it got published, he went straight away to go and pray, is because he probably knew that if you procrastinate, it just gets harder. A spirit of excellence just acts. Because life will suck you and wear you and pull you and push you and and man, it gets more scary the longer you wait. It just jumps. So he just goes, I'm going to jump. So he starts to worship. Now here is probably the most inspiring part of this whole message. If nothing else inspires you, this should like, get you going. If you have a spirit of excellence, a spirit of excellence will do two things for you. On the one side it will result in promotion. If you have a spirit of excellence, you will be promoted. Whatever you do, it works in Babylon, it works in the kingdom of God, it works across all things. Excellence gets promoted. It is a beautiful thing. Here's the other thing. This thing is the thing you really want. It'll get you hurt. It will smash you up. I'll tell you why. Because if you're excellent in character, even without intending to do so, you will expose lies and stuff around, which will make people unhappy. If you're excellent in attitude, you're just one of those people who wake up in the morning. Who are those like really positive people? You wake up in the morning, you're happy. You tell your face to be happy whether you're happy or not. Who, who are those people? Well done, well done, you guys. If you're that person, people around you will get annoyed because the people around you are victims. If you're excellent at your job, if you're skilled excellently, you will expose people who not. And some of you know what it feels like. The result will be people will not like you. So if the spirit of excellence rests, rests on you, you will be persecuted. 
And Jesus tells you it's going to happen. So it will happen to you. The dude lands in a lion's den. Now, when I think about a lion's den, because I grew up in a game farm, we used to have, uh, we had like a two kilometer by a kilometer enclosure, and we'd been given a whole bunch of baby lions. They were orphans. And so we didn't really know what to do with them. We fed them milk for a very short period of time before they wanted to go into solids. And then once they, when they go into solids, they get a little hectic. And so we, we put them into this massive enclosure. And so my job, from when I was 10, I know I live in a, lived in a whole different world. When I was 10, I had to go out hunting to feed the lions. There were three of them. There was Henry, who was wonderful. And then there were two females. And yo, I learned so much about the female part of the population from those lionesses. I would, I would go to try and feed the lionesses, and they would charge. And it would take them milliseconds to get from the sound desk to you and hit the fence. And every time that happened, I would have to change my underpants. It was just so fast, so hard, so hectic. I want to submit to you that Daniel wasn't at all scared of the lions. I don't think that was a big issue for him. But notice how he goes into this conversation. The king gives the order. They brought Daniel in and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, because you're so excellent, your boss will always love you if you're excellent. May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he couldn't sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, and he said, Daniel, servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me. And now listen to this. Because I was found innocent in his sight. Daniel interpreted everything that happened through his name. God is my judge. He judged me innocent. I'm fine. And then he says, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, it's fascinating. There are two things it says there. It says that Daniel understands this, that he was innocent and he was judged innocent, so he was protected. The Bible understands it from Daniel was saved because he trusted God. There are two truths in here. The first is, if you, you live your life looking at every day through the lens of God is my judge, how I do today, God will judge me for. What you will do is you will live excellently. It will be beautiful. But if you think this story is about Daniel doing the right thing so that God rescues him, you've missed the story. The truth about this story is that Daniel is just a 
prophetic picture of Jesus. He's like the little J Jesus. And Daniel going to the lion's den is just a picture of Jesus going to the real pit. And Daniel's lions, Jesus says, these bulls of Bashan surround me, these lions, their mouths are open wide, ready to tear me apart. My soul melts like wax. Daniel was rescued from the lions. Jesus was ripped apart by the lions. Daniel was judged innocent, not because of Daniel. Daniel was judged innocent because Jesus took all the sin of Daniel and you and me upon himself and was ripped apart and judged so that we could be free. The message about the book of Daniel is not do good things for God and then you'll get rescued. That may happen. The message of Daniel is this is what Jesus was going to come do for you. So what's my message to you? If you're a Christian, Jesus did everything excellently and then got ripped apart for it so that you who are corrupt and negligent and I who am corrupt and negligent could be forgiven and glorified and have a plan for my life, I could make an impact. So, what are you going to do with that? Here's what I want from you. Fight a fight excellently. Take back some of what COVID destroyed and let's, let's start to fight a little for our neighborhoods and communities and municipalities. Let's start praying for our city. Let's live excellently in it. Let's start to go, I'm not going to give up my life and become mediocre like everything around me because they're in charge. Let's be like Daniel and go, Jesus, if you can do that for me and I want you to be pleased with my life, let me give it to you. Use it where you want. Got a sewer problem, I'm an engineer, use it. Got a litter problem, I got hands, use it. You got an education issue, I'm a teacher, use it. And God, I'm going to throw everything at making a difference. I'm going to stop whining. I'm going to get off my backside and do something for you. Church, that's why we're here. So do something. Amen. That's all I've got. May you be rebuked, filled with love and great joy, and join us for coffee. Have a great night.